0: Ladies and gentlemen, my aunt. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen, here I am, back of a stone wall that adjoins Mr. Wilmers Garden. From here, I get a sweep of the whole scene. I'll give you every detail as long as I can talk and as long as I can see. The more state police have arrived. They're drawing up a cordon in front of the pit. About 30 of them. No need to push the crowd back now. They're willing to keep their distance. The captain's conferring with someone. Can't quite see who. I ah, yes, I believe it's Professor Pearson. Yes, it is. Now now they've parted, and the professor moves around one side, studying the object while the captain and two policemen advance with something in their hands. I can see it now. It's a white handkerchief tied to a pole. Flag of truce. Those creatures know what that means, what anything means. Wait a minute. Something's happening. A humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. What's that? Is it? She had the flames springing from the mirror and it leaps right at the advancing men. It strikes them head on. Lord, they are turning into flames. Ah, now the whole field by the woods, ah, as far as the fire the gas tank tanks, tanks of the automobiles is spreading everywhere. Coming this way now, about 20 yards to my right. Ladies and gentlemen, due to circumstances beyond our control, we are unable to continue the broadcast from Grover's Mill. Evidently there's some difficulty with our field transmission. However, we will return to that point at the earliest opportunity. In the meantime, we have a late bulletin from San Diego, California.
1: Hello everyone, and thank you for tuning in to Point of Insanity Game Studios Geekery and General Podcast. And today's topic is very much out of this world. And speaking of Things that are out of this world. Uh, I've got with me Chad. How's it going, Chad?
2: Hey, Al, it's really great. I'm right behind your left shoulder, and Lou, I'm behind your right shoulder.
1: (laughs) Yes, and we've also got Lou here as well. So, how are you doing today, Lou? Doing pretty well, Al. So, today's topic is I think it's going to be a fun one because it's something that it relates to gaming uh you know movies science fiction comic books but it's also something that has been approached scientifically and we're going to be talking about well are we alone or is there intelligent life somewhere out there in the universe so we're going to be starting with a little bit more of a lighthearted approach well or Pessimistic approach, depending on how you want to put it, as we're going to talk about some of the ways that contact with extraterrestrials has been pictured in movies, TV shows, and uh, other forms of entertainment. And then we're going to take a look at some of the scientific attempts that have been made to explain why or why not there might be uh, intelligent life out there and maybe some of the reasons why. Maybe we haven't had a chance to contact them yet. So let's begin by stating, well, if you, if you can remember that far back, what was the first movie, TV show, book, whatever, that you recall with that pictured contact with between humanity and extraterrestrials?
2: Well, I think uh for me anyway, it it's it's one of two and I can't honestly tell you which one it was first, but it was either um Close Encounters of the Third Kind or ET.
3: Okay. Uh and what about you, Lou? I'm I'm actually probably in the same boat. I remember seeing ET in the theater. I know I didn't see Close Encounters because I think it was a, just a little bit prior to ET. Um, but I think E.T. is the first one that really sticks out for me.
1: Okay, yeah, and for me, I have to say it was actually E.T. as well. At least that's the first one that I can remember. And, I mean, I think E.T. is interesting because, well, let's take a look at how the people reacted to their encounter with this extraterrestrial. So one of the things we, we you know, the, the children, they, well, there was a bit of, of fear there, As I recall, they started to get, uh, eventually they started to react with more curiosity before they eventually became friends with the extraterrestrial. So what are some of your thoughts on how extraterrestrial contact was pictured in that movie?
2: Um, I I think, unfortunately, it's it's probably pretty close to the way it'll really be if it ever happens. You know, uh, the individual person reacts with, curiosity and interest i mean there's a little fear there but i think even if i walked into you know if i ran into an alien and i knew it was an alien i think there would be some fear there as well but it would be curiosity it would be interest and that kind of stuff the problem comes the government got involved and right away they want to take it apart they want to see what makes it tick they want to make they want to see what kind of uh you know technology and intelligence and all this stuff that's in there and and I get that. I get why the government needs to do that because they need to know what we're up against. I mean, plain and simple. Um, but I think that's exactly how the world would be split. The individual person would be interested uh, where the government would fear contact like that. Okay. Unless, of course, it's already happened.
1: Okay. Well, that, that's, that's uh, above our security clearance, I guess. Uh, depending on who you listen to, there's, of course, people that think that Uh, The U.S. is working with uh, extraterrestrials, but we're not going to get into that. (laughs) So, okay, Lou,
3: you know, and uh, regarding another alien movie, uh, Men in Black, um, I think Tommy Lee Jones' character said something to the effect of a person is smart, rational where people are scared and stupid. And excuse me, I think. I, I would agree with Chad. I think that's how it would really work. I mean, if you get the the individuals and if it was kind of everything was eased into, it would probably be okay. However, if it was kind of a just a big bang, for lack of a better way to put it, I think people are going to go nuts. Um, it's not going to go smoothly, and the government's going to have to come in, and it's going to turn into a chaos.
1: Yeah, and, and that I would agree with, and I mean, I remember one of the parts in that movie that – you know, really, I still remember to this day was when the government stepped in near the end where they had the, you know, the hazmat suits and, you know, they were quarantining the house. And I guess in that case, yeah, you you can't really blame them because, I mean, we look in our own world what's happened when people from one part of the world came into contact with people from other parts of the world. Like when we take a look at when the Europeans first came over to the Americas, They brought diseases that Native Americans didn't, they never encountered, so they didn't have a defense against that. And I think that is a very valid concern because, you know, if we've got all these types of diseases on Earth that we may have never come in contact with, who's to say there's a disease out on another planet somewhere that if we were to come in contact with it, it would be just as lethal? Space rabies? Well, I suppose you could call it space rabies, we can for for lack of a better term.
2: <laughs> well, you know, they brought back they've they've brought back um stones from the moon, they've brought uh they've recovered stones that were once part of Mars and all these things. And though we have them and we've done tests on them, nobody's ever been exposed to them for that exact reason. They're afraid that there might be something there that we as people uh couldn't survive if it got amongst us. So you can see moonstones, but they are, you know, they're they're in a a reserved area where, um, you know, where where nobody has access to them to actually touch them and and see what they are. You know what I'm saying? Yep. and exactly.
1: Fears. And there's also that fear of contamination. Um, for example, uh, one of the, I think it was the uh it was one of the landing probes that went to one of the other planets. I, I mean, I think the Mars ones, of course, went through extreme amounts of sterilization uh, as well as the the Eugen's probe that landed on Saturn's moon Titan that one of the reasons they do all this sterilization is because if we are going to look for life on these other planets and bodies in our solar system, we want to make sure that there's not any contamination from the Earth probe. One example I can think of when you're looking at some of the earlier Mars missions, do you remember the Mars Viking landers?
2: I re- I've i read about them. I don't remember them happening.
1: Yeah, we were... I don't remember the year. I think they were, they were actually about the mid-70s, mid-late 70s. So, while they did happen during our lifetimes, we would have been too young to remember it. But... One of the things that the people were excited about for these probes is that they were going to be taking soil samples to see if they could find any evidence of life, even if it was, you know, bacteria or microscopic life. And some of the the results were kind of mixed. I guess like there were some results that showed positive results, and then there were other ones that showed negative results. So I believe the conclusion was that it was because the the, the the spacecraft wasn't sanitized enough and that any results may have been due to contamination from material from the earth. Which and, and of course Mars is always fascinating because the, the clip I played before the show began was one of the scenes from War of the Worlds. And that again showed how well, even back when it was written, oh boy, I don't remember exactly how long ago it was written. I think like the early 1900s.
2: Uh, yeah, War of the Worlds. Yeah, it was the early 1900s.
1: Yeah, and because uh, the and there's a urban legend that when the uh, Orson Wells and his uh, broadcasting company when they did their uh, their radio drama there's this urban legend that it caused all sorts of widespread panic because it was done in more or less a you, you know a radio style format like they're you know someone's reporting live and right yeah and it didn't quite cause as much uh, panic as people thought it you know as the the urban legend says it did um and mm-hmm. you know mainly because they you know they mentioned you know that it was at the beginning they mentioned it was a radio play and they i think they mentioned it a couple times during the uh, plot as well but you know during this scene when the the spacecraft starts to you know open there is uh this there's some guys approaching with a flag of truce but then this weapon comes out and it starts uh setting everything on fire but now, have either you guys ever read War of the Worlds, or have you just like seen the movie adaptations? Um, I have. I, I saw the latest
2: movie adaptation with, uh, oh, what's Cruise. his name, Tom Cruise. Yeah, and honestly, I wasn't impressed. Um, I've heard bits and pieces of the radio work on it, and and I was more impressed by that. Um, I did do just do a quick search, by the way, Al, just so we have our stats correct here. It was 1898. Okay. So,
3: and, but I was actually on the Wikipedia page with the same thing too. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So,
2: but you know, it's the idea of, you know, evil aliens and that's, that's a topic or a, a, a trope, I guess, that comes up a lot in movies. You know, uh, Independence Day, um, there, there's a lot of them and I'm, and I'm having a hard time thinking of any right now, but, uh, where the bad aliens that they're coming to get us because we have the resources they want and they're just going to come in, wipe us off, you know, uh, Atlas shrug kind of thing and we're going to be gone and it's going to be the aliens living here. And I don't know. I, I honestly don't think that that's the way it's going to be. I don't see. I mean, because if there was this super race of aliens out there that are going to do that, they're going to come in and they're just going to wipe us out and take over the Earth. I honestly think it would have happened by now.
1: Well, we're going to be addressing that later on when we start talking about the Fermi paradox and we start taking a look at some of the scientific explanations that people have tried to come up with for why there might be, you know, why we may not have made contact yet. So we'll stick a pin in that and we'll come back to it uh, later on. But, Fair enough. yep, uh, Independence Day, uh, that's another one. Now, with War of the Worlds, do you remember what ended up causing the the downfall of the aliens in the end? Was it bacteria? Yep, because, and again, I, I think it was, I, I think it is probably scientifically uh, feasible that he chose to have the bacteria because, yeah, if they were coming into contact with uh you know, things on Earth, well, you think they would realize that they should probably be careful in this foreign environment because it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a lot different from Mars, of course. So they should have realized, okay, maybe there's bacteria and diseases here that we never came in contact with.
2: Well, you're right. You know, we talk about the aliens bringing something, but it's just a good chance that we're going to have something that they can't deal with.
1: Now, what are some other examples you can remember from your childhood of of movies or TV shows that pictured contact between extraterrestrials and humanity? V. Oh, yes. I remember the TV show V. What about you, oh, Chad? Did you ever watch that one?
2: I did not. I did not. So you guys go ahead and talk about V because, I don't know, it sounds like you both got a little excited about it. <laughs> like it might be interesting.
1: Okay, Lou. Why don't we've been talking a bit? Let's why don't you tell us uh, about V? Oh, V was a. In fact, it actually
3: followed the trope that Chad had mentioned earlier, where the visitors, where the V comes from, come to Earth and they pretended to be friendly. However, they were actually here to enslave the human race and basically take. I believe it was take all the water. Um, they were reptilian that had human skin over the top or uh, human facial features. They looked like humans. And I just remember it was a mini series actually with Mark Singer, the guy who was the Beastmaster, And it scared the hell out of me um, when I was a kid, because it was like early eighties. So I was an impressionable young kid and it was a far cry from ET. Oh yeah. And it's their logo was almost Nazi ish. And, of course, my dad would screw with me, and I had a sunburn, and I was peeling one time. He's like, oh, you're one of the lizard people. And I
1: was, no, <laughs> knock it off. Yep, and let's see if we, uh, we're thinking of the same scene. Do you remember, what scene would you say scared the pants off you the most from the V-series?
3: The one where the, the woman disjoints her jaw and eats a guinea
1: pig. Okay, that one, I, I don't remember that one, but the scene that... One of the scenes that really scared me is, see, when these aliens started taking over, you found out not only did they want, you know, the Earth's resources, they also wanted us for food. And there was this one scene where it shows a bunch of people walking into like something that looks like a factory and the camera pans over and you see things that look like body bags coming out the other end. So that was one of the scenes that I remember made a real impression on me. But, and, you know, and I think the the thing about that, um, the way V pictured that contact, I think that it's for the, it shows a certain amount of cleverness, I think, and foresight on the aliens part that they decided to put that, you know, that synthetic skin to make them look like they were, they were people. Because mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that, is both intriguing but also kind of unnerving about the thought of encountering an extraterrestrial. We don't know what they're going to look like, but if that extraterrestrial looks not much different than the guy down the street, then that makes it a lot less scary to encounter them.
3: You know, and the, the issue with that too, though, is, I mean, this is where you got to realize that if you see these people that are these aliens that appear to be people, but then find out later that they're actually this horribly disturbing lizard people, um, people are going to be mad that they were deceived. I mean, that's going to turn all of their trust and be gone.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I suppose they could try to explain it, that they didn't want to frighten us. But yeah, I, I can definitely see your point there, especially with the context of what ha- was happening in that that V where, you know, that V series where they were just coming to take us away. And Now, another TV show that I was a big fan of, did either of you ever watch Alien Nation?
3: Never even heard of it. I saw part of the movie. uh, Didn't actually watch the TV show,
1: though. Okay. Yeah, I've never seen the movie, but I did watch the TV show. And in this one, aliens have managed to integrate themselves peacefully into humanity. And it actually was interesting the way they described the um the family relationships because with the species that these aliens were you know had their reproduction involved two males and a female and during the later stage of pregnancy i remember there was this one episode where they showed the you know the i don't remember if it was like an egg or something being transferred from the the mother of the the main alien family into the male's body um and and I remember that one because, essentially, Alien Nation was a buddy cop series. You had this cynical human cop who was partnered with this. Uh, the, the alien he was partnered with was a bit more level-headed. And I, f- I forgot their names. I do apologize, but... I remember really being into that show when, you you know, the two characters really kind of played off nicely where, you know, again, you had the, the cynical kind of bitter cop with the more level-headed alien one. So I liked how that TV series portrayed human extraterrestrial contact. Well, let's talk about cartoons because I'm sure all three of us watched our fair share of cartoons when we were kids. Oh, yeah. So... What cartoon series from the early 80s would jump in your mind when talking about how, uh, about contact between humans and extraterrestrials?
2: Marvin the Martian. Okay. You know, the 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 Looney Tunes, to- or not Looney Tunes, what would it have been? It would have yeah, been, that was Looney Tunes.
3: it's Looney Tunes.
2: Okay, yeah, Looney Tunes. Um, loved Marvin the Martian, you know, he was this... Again, he was hell-bent on, on destroying Earth.
1: Where's uh, the kaboom? There was supposed
2: to be an Earth-shattering kaboom! Exactly, but his, his... his ...laser never seemed to work.
3: The Aluminium-236 um, Explosive Space Modulator.
2: Yeah, okay, thanks. Thanks, thanks Mr. Obvious. Um, <laughs> nerd. <laughs> Um, and then there was, um, then there was gizmo on, um, the, uh, Flintstones.
1: Okay. No, the great wazoo. Um, the great the wazoo. Yes. Yeah, I great remember <laughs> how I remember that name. Have you ever heard of the, the, the radio jockey man cow? I,
2: yeah, not a fan.
1: Okay. He, a friend of mine in college had his like best of, and he had this parody he was doing called the Flint bones. And it was basically an X-rated version of the Flintstones. And they have, they had like one of the the wives asking, why do they call you the Great Wazoo? And then there's a sound effect of the, of pants being unzipped and a boing.
2: Oh, Jesus.
1: (laughs) So anyways, Uh, go on.
2: um, And then, of course, there was the Jetsons and and there was, um, Gizmo was in that one too, wasn't he? There was a little green alien in in uh, the Jetsons as well.
1: Um, uh,
2: drawing a blank. I'm I am too. I want to say it was Gizmo because I think, uh, especially in the crossovers of the uh, Jetsons and the Flintstones, there was uh, he was part of that. He kind of made it happen, kind of thing. Uh, but anyway, so those are the those are the ones that really pop out to me.
1: Okay, Lou.
3: Really, I mean, uh, it's about the same ones for me. I mean, the Great Gazoo, who is basically the Q of the Flintstones time, and um, of course, Marvin the Martian <laughs> with with his uh, big orange gossamer aliens. Those are pretty much the main ones, actually.
1: One of them for me that stuck out early on was Transformers, because you think about it, you know, they're they are encountering extraterrestrials. It's just they're they're sentient robots as opposed to organic creatures. And one of the things that actually did make sense about Transformers is if we are going to encounter extraterrestrials, it's probably more likely that we're going to encounter machines before we encounter the, the things that made them. I mean, you look at it, How well, we've sent people to the moon, but other than that, we haven't sent humans to any other uh, body in our solar system, uh, but however, we have spent. However, we have sent several robots to. You know, we've sent robots to. Uh, actually, I think yeah, we have because of the the New Horizons spacecraft. We can now say we have sent robot uh, spacecraft to every planet in the solar system, and in the case of Venus, Mars, and the Moon, uh, Saturn's moon Titan, we've actually had landers on those on those bodies uh, because again, those environments are just too dangerous for humans to explore right now. And uh, also we have to consider that, you know, just with the distances between the stars and the planets, you know, it's, it is easier to send a spacecraft, a robot out there because they're going to be able to operate longer than, than people probably would. Or, well, that's probably not the best way to say it, but, um, you know, of course with people, you got to, make sure they have food and stuff, and air and water, whereas a spacecraft, you just got to make sure it has enough energy. Um, and another TV series I always remember, Robotech. Either of you guys ever watch that show? Can't oh, yeah. say I have. Robotech
3: okay. and then the, the Battletech gaming.
1: Yep, and I always liked Robotech because in that case, the one of the things that was cool about Robotech is... The first contact with aliens in that one is when the the Robotech master ship crashed on Earth and it was at a time when the world was involved in a you know a world a, a world war. And this event actually caused that that war to 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 be put on hold because people realized that okay if there's this civilization out there that can make a huge technologically advanced spaceship like this well then, you know what's what's going to happen when they come and get their ship, which I don't, which I don't remember if they because it's been a long time since I've seen the the show. But one of the reasons they developed these battleoids, um, you know, the Veritech fighters, was because they found out that the you know the, the the race that developed this ship they were large. So in order to actually stand a chance against them, they had to develop ways to. To attack these creatures that would be physically larger than people.
2: Okay, that makes sense.
1: And now, Lou, have you ever? Uh, so, have you ever played the Robotech role-playing game? Or I know you mentioned BattleTech, but that's that's different from the Robotech. Uh, I
3: <clears throat> excuse me. I did play Robotech. Uh, I guess when I think of those, I think of like the BattleTech, Robotech, and the Mech, where you're kind of meshed in together. But yeah. Then again, anime is always about Big Mac anyways. Yeah. <laughs> um I did play Robotech. Um I played the miniatures with that as well. Um and as well as the role playing and it it was quite a
1: lot of fun actually. So did you see all three of the the different generations of Robotech or are you just familiar with the main one, uh Macross? Um
3: mainly with Macross. Um and it's it was very hit or miss in fact I think it was an um I'll be honest I think it was an anime video cassette club in the month or something so i remember seeing episodes that way because the local stores wouldn't carry full series of that
1: yeah and oh and i mean my my friend steve and i many many episodes ago we talked about anime and uh to sound like a grumpy old man here you know anime fans today the younger generation you guys have no idea how good you have it i mean do, lou do you remember how much a uh, An a one hour long anime tape cost back then?
3: Oh my god! I mean, I remember seeing like a a one hour anime VHS tape used for like thirty
1: five dollars. Oh yeah, because I used to watch the Ranma one half series, and I've got that whole set on DVD and video. (laughs) Yeah, because I think the VHSs for that were like about like thirty five forty dollars for two episodes. And then the Robotech series I remember, um those were um those were actually uh a little cheaper. They were about twenty bucks for two episodes. And one of the nice interesting things about Robotech, see there were three there were three different seasons for it. The first one um was when we when we focused on the uh the Macross Island and the the super fortress. The second one um focused more on tank-based combat, and then the third one took place even further in the, a little bit further in the future. Where I mean, you remember not only did they have the the transforming fighters, but do you remember the cyclones from the third season? I don't. Okay, they, those were awesome. They were you basically the characters would ride in. They had the suit of armor they wore, and then the mic the the uh, motorcycle would transform to become a suit of body armor around them. So getting past some of our memories of childhood and how, you know, we've seen different ways that contact with extraterrestrials have been approached in media. Sometimes we have ones like E.T. where it's a little bit more lighthearted and also, well, I don't know, would you consider a Martian wanting to destroy the Earth all the time to be lighthearted?
3: When he's a cute little cartoon that's like three and a half feet tall and smaller than a ra- than a bipedal
1: rabbit, yeah. <laughs> well, and I suppose the fact that he usually got foiled by what was it, Daffy Duck?
3: Oh, Duck Dodgers sometimes, yep. duck, and then yeah, I-
2: Duck Dodgers. That was it.
3: <laughs>
1: so yeah, I suppose when you do have a uh, alien trying to destroy the Earth and he keeps getting foiled by a a black duck, yeah, that. That, uh, that's a little lighthearted. So. And of course, the great wazoo uh, from the Flintstones. But now let's take a look towards some of the scientific attempts that people have made to think about the possibility of life on other planets, as well as what, why we have not yet made contact with these extraterrestrials if they're out there. Now I'm going to put Chad on the spot. You ready, Chad? Oh, I'm ready. Do you remember way back when we had our our uh, episode where we we talked about idea theft and um try, basically we were we had an episode where we talked about okay taking inspiration from books or movies or TV shows that we've seen and using that to create you know some inspiration for your your, your role-playing game campaign. Chad, do you Strangely,
2: remember? I do remember that.
1: Do you remember the astronomer that I mentioned in, well, one of the astronomers I mentioned in that episode, as well as the book he wrote?
2: Um, was it, hold on, hold on, Frank, Frank Drake?
1: No, 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 that wasn't back then. Uh, I don't know. Don't remember. Okay. No, I,
2: I do, I do remember you. It was a, it was an English author, wasn't it?
1: Uh, Dutch, Dutch Christian I, I, Eugens. I, 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 Eugens. Okay, and he wrote a book bef- shortly before he died, and it was published by his brother after he died. Called Cosmo Theoros, and Eugens believed that the planets of our solar system we're all inhabited and you know and he, and he did realize that you know water was a key ingredient for life as we know it and he felt that you know even that the other planets in our solar system they would have to be inhabited and one of the challenges back then is back in those days it was considered socially unacceptable to offer any sort of scientific theory that conflicted with what was in the Bible. So, uh, Eugens, he argued that extraterrestrial life, it's not confirmed in the Bible, but it's not really denied either. And he also pondered, well, why would God create other planets if they were not to serve a purpose other than being admired from the earth? Um, he also had another interesting idea that the reason that there's this great distance between these planets is because God did not intend for humans to either come in contact with these other civilizations, or I think he even be- argued that maybe he felt that we would, God felt we wouldn't be ready to contact these, or we shouldn't, let me start over there. Or I think he may have even argued that he he thought that God felt that Humanity should not come into contact with these other alien creatures, alien species, until we are you know ready to handle that sort of contact and He argued that well, we might take a look at Mars and think that that planet's too cold for life. He argued that well, uh, someone living on Venus might very well think that Earth is too cold for life because well, he recognized that Venus would be hotter than. The Earth and Mars is colder, life would find a way to develop. So now we're going to get into two fun theories, the Drake equation and the Fermi paradox. So to start out, the first is the Drake equation. And this was created by an astronomer named Dr. Frank Drake. And He tried to create a formula, not necessarily to solve, but just a way for us to predict and maybe try to stimulate a little bit of discussion about extraterrestrial life. His equation stated that, okay, we can estimate the number of observable intelligent civilizations by multiplying some specific factors. First, the average rate of star formation in our galaxy. Second, the fraction of stars that will have planets. Third, the number of planets around a star that have the potential to support life. Four, the number of those planets that actually develop life. Five, the number of planets that have life where intelligent life arises Then, next, the number of those uh, planets that develop not only intelligent life, but intelligent life that becomes capable of releasing detectable signals into space. And finally, and this is perhaps the most sobering part of the Drake equation, and that's the lifetime of a civilization before it either destroys itself from war or it becomes wiped out by disease, or um, or, a catastrophe like a collision with a comet or a meteor bombardment. So, Drake tried to make people think about the number of civilizations out there. However, uh, the another astronomer, um, Enrico Fermi, I believe, I think that was his first name.
2: Yeah, that sounds right.
1: Yeah, Enrico uh, Fermi. And he, he tried to challenge Drake's equation by coming up with something he called the Fermi Paradox, which is, if there's all these advanced civilizations out there, where is everybody? How come we haven't made contact with them yet? And that has led to all sorts of fun discussion among astronomers throughout the years. So let's take a look at, well, first let's start with you, Chad. Why do you think that we have not made contact with extraterrestrials uh, assuming there are other intelligent civilizations out there, if you had to choose one reason why you think they haven't made contact yet, what would you think it is?
2: Well, I think Star Trek told us everything we needed to know when we we found out that we are the armpit of the universe We're not developed far enough i don't I don't think um you know space travel at this point. It takes, you know, several days just to get to the moon. It takes seven years to get to Mars, which is our, our closest neighboring planet. So, therefore, I don't think we've developed far enough that other races have even necessarily uh, put us on the map yet. I don't think we're developed enough. So, that that that's my answer. Is I don't think we're developed enough.
1: Okay. So, you think that um, they... While they may be out there, they just, because of the distances involved, that's why they haven't reached us yet.
2: No, I think that's why we haven't reached them, and I think that's why they haven't cared to, to other than maybe, possibly, depending on the mood I'm in, come to visit and see what we're all about. But I don't think they've um, gone beyond the prime directive and, and interfered with us yet.
1: Okay, and... The, yeah, I mean, just to give you uh, some perspective, I mean, the NASA's New Horizons spacecraft was launched in 2006, but it didn't reach Pluto until 2015. So, you know, you consider that's, you know, how far that goes. And now I, I chat, I, it, I don't think it takes quite, I think it only takes about six months or so to actually reach Mars. Oh really? Yeah, it's not not quite not quite far enough to take 7 years, but um yeah, they I mean, but it does still it does take several months and um you, you know, you have you have to consider that there's a lot that can go wrong when you're trying to uh launch a spacecraft to an, another planet. Uh and of course one of the things you have to keep in mind is that I mean, if you watch a football game, does the quarterback throw the football to where that receiver is? Or does he throw it to where he thinks he's going to be?
2: Yeah. Okay, I get you.
1: Or in the case of Jay Cutler and the Chicago Bears, he just throws it to wherever one of the opposing team members is. But we're not going to go there.
2: (laughs) So I I just pulled it up quick. It actually takes 39 days with the fastest spacecraft we have now. Um, It takes 39 days to get to Mars.
1: Oh, okay. That's even shorter than I thought it was. So... Okay, so, Lou, what about you? Why do you think that, if there is intelligent life out there, why they haven't made contact with us yet?
3: You know, and I'm going to play the spoiler on this one. Who's to say that they haven't?
1: Oh, you're one of those types of people, huh?
3: Dun, dun, dun. (laughs) Just kidding. Not always, but but to be honest, I mean, who's to say that they haven't and they're not already living among us? Because, honestly, we are, you know, excuse me, I'll borrow from what Chad had mentioned before. We're we may consider ourselves to be like top of the can, uh, top of the hill, but I mean, who who's to say that we are still not living in a, lo- a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago?
1: Okay, yeah, and my personal opinion is that they accidentally intercepted a few episodes of Keeping Up with the Kardashians and then realized there's no intelligent life down there. No, they
3: they found the first wayside to hit the U turn and said, you know what? I don't care if it's an illegal turn. We're going back the way we (laughs) came.
1: No, just kidding. Um, and I I think that I mean, there's, I mean, a lot of you know reasons why, but I'd have to say if I chose, I, I had to choose, um, one reason why I think we haven't made contact yet is you just have to consider with our current monitoring technology you, you know in order to feasibly be able to to find these transmissions we'd have to be able to find a way to monitor the entire sky at once because i believe like one radio telescope can only detect or can only monitor like a one percent of the sky at a time so while you might be looking well so like let's say, for example, we're pointing our radio telescope at um, a star that we think that has life around it that might be transmitting signals. Well, while we're pointing our telescopes there, well, maybe over from you know ninety degrees over, there is a star that has a civilization that's trying to contact us. But since we're not looking in that direction at the right time, The radio waves don't reach us and we're not picking up their signal. Um, so that, that I think is one possible ex, that could be one possible explanation, but let's start with one of the obvious ones. And we've talked about this already. The distance between the stars and planets. Now we already know that there's a lot of space in our own, no pun intended, in our own solar system, but I mean just when we start talking about the distances between the stars though that you're we're dealing with numbers that are so great they they pretty much lose meaning um and that's why we use that term light year because pop quiz for you do you know approximately how far a light year is
2: Oh man I, I used to know this Yeah I did too um, actually like isn't it something like I know that's going to be way, way too low, but it's like 876,000 miles.
1: A little more. A light year, uh, how far light travels in one year, um, is it is, it's about 5.8 uh, billion miles. Actually, let me just double check that because it's been a while since I've... <laughs> you were so close, Chad.
2: <laughs> I, I'm ahead of you, Al. looking it up. It is <laughs> uh five point eight seven nine times ten to the twelfth miles.
1: Which is let's see, it's how about many... five five point eight eight trillion miles. Okay, yeah, we are I was off too. <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's why we have that's why they use those distances because it's easier to say that a star is fifty seven light years away than to say, okay, what's uh okay, that that, that you know 5.8 trillion miles, multiply that by 57. Okay, how many miles is that, kids? <laughs> so, and if you didn't know the scientific method, you'd be screwed. Oh, yes, you would. And and that's where part of the problem is, because, I mean, let's say that there is a star that's 100 light years away from us. And, well, actually, let's even go closer. Uh, the closest star outside of our sun, um, the Alpha Centauri system. You know it's a little over four light years away. So you sent if we sent a message there in uh you know in 2017, it wouldn't get there until sometime in 2021, our time. And let's say by the remote possibility that there is an alien civilization there that does manage to pick up that signal and is able to send a reply. Well that's going to take a little over four more years. So basically a conversation between these two, between someone around our star and someone in the Alpha Centauri system, you know, that would take over eight years just to say, hey, how's it going? Not too bad. How are you?
3: You know, but keep in mind too, that who's to say that they don't have a technology on Alpha Centauri that can get the messages back to us so much faster. So, I mean, basically... They would, we would be sending out a message to them on dial-up, and they'd be sending T three messages
1: back to us. <laughs> okay, that's true. And now, are you trying to go like in the direction that Star Wars does, where I think they talk about like hyperspace and how you know? And let's face it, in science in science fiction, that has to be the biggest plot device because you know it wouldn't it wouldn't be much fun if you spent most of the movie just watching them sit around in a spacecraft doing nothing until they got to the next planet.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, they use, you know, the hyperspace there, um, you know, warp speed and wormholes in the Trek series. You know, I mean, if there's so many different ways to get around, or if you go way back to the Disney era with the black hole, um, Ways to traverse to different parts of the universe or different quadrants with, you know, somehow tr- getting through a black hole and not being crushed to dust. Yeah. You know, and
2: and you would have to, you would have to have some sort of technology to move. Because if you look at Alpha Centauri, which is a little over, how, how many light years did you say that was away, Al?
1: A little over four.
2: Okay, so a little over four light years. So you look at that and... Even at the speed of, I mean, even at warp 10, which would, which would equal the speed of light, because that's one thing they're very particular about in Trek is, you know, 10, it, warp 10 is the speed of light, and you can't exceed that. In fact, you can't even match it in most cases. Um, it would take over four years to travel to Alpha Centauri at max warp, and that's if you could hold your ship together.
1: Yeah, and then, of course, we also have to think of the other things, how when you travel that fast, I believe time actually slows down. Because um, do you remember the old series with Carl Sagan, uh, Cosmos? Hmm.
2: I, I remember I remember hearing of it. I, I, It's actually on my new watch list on Netflix right now. I've never actually watched it.
1: Okay. Oh, they have the Carl Sagan version of Cosmos on Netflix now, or is it the Neil deGrasse Tyson version? They, they have are both, both of them.
2: They are both on there.
1: Yeah, because as I recall, uh, there was one episode of Cosmos where Carl Sagan gave an example of you know two brothers. And one of them went on a motorbike ride around the countryside traveling the speed of light. And I forgot exactly how he explained it, but by the time the brother got back... You know, since he'd been traveling so fast, time slowed down for him so that he didn't age as quickly. So his brother is actually quite a bit older than, than him when he gets back to his you know to his home destination. I'll have to see if I can hunt down that episode I, because I, I remember that's one of the uh, parts of cosmos I very clearly remember watching. Um, okay, so the distance, of course, is going to be the big factor. but let's think of something else. Let's say for the sake of argument that there is an intelligent civilization out there, they do discover a way to travel between the stars in a practical amount of time. So maybe a journey that would normally take 50 years at the speed of light, they can do it in a few months. So now an alien species has managed to come to Earth. What are some things that might prevent them from trying to actually make contact with us?
3: depending on the reception that they receive, if they even make it through the atmosphere. I mean, a strategic air command is not prepared for this thing. They're going to see a bogey coming in. They're going to launch fighters. Honestly, in, in this day and age, I mean, obviously we'd be going in the future, but in this day and age, everybody is very on edge about everybody else. So, I mean, unless there is some way of identifying what is coming in, it's going to be perceived as a threat before anything actually comes through. And that could, you know burn up in the atmosphere forcibly yep okay chad
2: you know the the wrong the wrong person sees it and they're going to think the russians fired on us and we're going to wipe ourselves out as the aliens are coming in the atmo
1: okay okay <laughs> that's, that's, that's another possibility that's true cuz i mean obviously if we see something you know approaching yeah it could be mistaken for a missile but i mean let's think back to war of the worlds uh, one hopefully, if there isn't another, if there is another intelligent civilization out there, you know, again, they probably realize that okay, we're going on this other planet. We don't know what types of bacteria or life forms we're going to encounter, and if they have a deadly disease, I mean, maybe something like the common cold—that's a minor annoyance to us theoretically there could be a alien life form out there where that common cold could be a life-threatening illness. And another thing that some sometimes science fiction authors don't really address this, but we cannot ignore gravity. Um are either of you familiar with the John Carter Warlord of Mars? No, not not personally. Okay. Well, I saw a little bit of the, the Disney movie they tried to make of it, um, and I read one a couple of the issues of the Marvel Comics series that they used to have, but one of the things that John Carter was noted for is, compared to the the Martians that he was interacting with, he had superhuman strength and stamina. And they showed him in, I remember in the, the part of uh, the movie I saw, when he was trying to get up and take a step, he was literally leaping you know, several feet whenever he tried to take a single step. Because remember, Mars is a lot smaller than Earth. So if someone on Earth were to go to Mars, because we're used to working against our Earth's gravity and Mars has weaker gravity than the Earth does, someone an Earthling on Mars would actually be a little bit stronger than he would on the Earth. Um, And then it also works in reverse, where if you had someone who was on Mars, and if they did come to Earth, assuming that they're in some kind of, uh, you know, suit to protect them from the environment, they'd still have to cope with gravity. Since they're working against gravity that their muscles are not accustomed to, they're going to be physically weaker, and most likely they're going to tire out easier. Well, at least that's the theory.
2: Seems like a sound theory, honestly.
1: I would agree. Now, also, when we're taking a look at the Fermi paradox, a couple other reasons that people cite as to why alien life may not have contacted us and why it's a good thing is there's an argument, okay, is it the nature of intelligent life to destroy itself? And is there also is it the possibility that It's the nature of intelligent civilizations to destroy other civilizations, or can we take a more optimistic look? Do we think that if a civilization does manage to get intelligent enough to travel to other planets, does that mean that they've elevated themselves past the need for war? So what are some of your thoughts on that? Let's start with Lou this time.
3: Well, you know, I mean, and this is going to kind of go back to the trek a little bit, because if, I mean, I think it was in first contact when the lady was talking to Picard and, and, you know, talking about money doesn't mean anything anymore. And basically everybody just works together and there's really no need for subjugation. Um, You know, so, I mean, I don't, I mean, I honestly, maybe it's just my pessimistic thought is I don't think the aggression will ever go away. So I personally don't think that a hyper-intelligent, uh, race would completely not have anything wanting to overrun or at least be in charge for a little while at least. So, I mean, that's my personal thought, is that I think there would still be some form of overlord, but I don't think it would last because okay. they would realize that it would not work. Okay. Chad?
2: I I think it's human nature that somebody um that people want to be better than other people and I don't know if that's uh specific to our species of, of humans or if it's just races in general because if you allow yourself to be subjugated in however it's going to happen you are going to then end up going away I mean Let's let's look at, you know, some of the things on Earth. I mean, there are entire races that have been wiped up because they were subjugated by somebody else, you know. So I think that it's just the nature of mankind. Now, whether it's the nature of aliens or not, we can't say because we don't know. But I think if humans are involved in any of this, there's going to continue to be that war of attrition and. I don't think the idea of us being better than you is going to go away.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm probably going to take a bit more of the pessimistic approach because, well, one of the reasons that the aliens invaded Earth in Independence Day is because they needed our resources. And one of the theories out there, and this is actually something I can understand, is as a society becomes more technologically advanced, they need more energy to to operate. So, in theory, we, we should hope that intelligent civilizations manage to discover renewable resources, um, you know, or they start to move to things like solar power or, uh, you know, um, wind power, hydropower. But there's it's always possible that while they might need some sort of uh, special fuel that's no longer available on their planet, but happens to be available in abundance on Earth. Um, and again, I think we can certainly understand that fear because, I mean, look how much energy we use today compared to a hundred years ago. Oh yeah,
0: it's
3: astronomical. Who's who's to say that human beings might not be the perfect battery, all of the Matrix?
1: That is true, yes. <laughs> yes, for all we know, yeah, maybe there is, uh, maybe we do have something to offer these other aliens. Maybe we, they can find a way to turn us into batteries.
2: But there's a happy thought.
3: Oh, yes, you really. Know, happy. And, yeah, Al, Al was going on the pessimistic, so I fed I might as well pile. Well, you way know, and
2: actually, you, you bring that up, Lou, but I just read an article not so long ago that, um, Oh, the guy with uh, with Virgin X, you know, the guy who's going to take all these oh, people Musk. into space. Uh, yeah, Musk. Elon Musk. He believes that we're already living in a matrix world. Hmm. He believes that the the year is different and that we are living in some sort of um,
3: simulated Computer reality.
2: generated simulated reality. Yeah.
3: You know, if we have, if he ever decides to build a computer
1: called Skynet, I'm out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Tapping out. I'm. I'll see you guys later. Yeah, right. and, I, yeah. I get you.
1: And that's a topic probably best suited for another time um, that uh, yeah you know, Skynet ones. technology gone bad and how uh, one of my YouTube shows I follow um, Matt Pat uh, he has a show called the called game theory and he actually addressed that issue about Skynet um, or maybe that was one of his other shows of uh, film theory but go look up film theory or game theory on youtube um he actually did talk about that technological singularity well one other final thing to consider as far as why we may not have uh been able to contact extraterrestrials is that these aliens might be well too alien no pun intended in that how they communicate with each other might be so radically different than how we communicate with each other that communication between our species would become impossible even if we were speaking the same language. Um, And I know that's another one of those things that Carl Sagan brought up is that the the, the physiology of our race and another extraterrestrial race might not be compatible to allow that communication, so what are some of your thoughts on that? well I think um
2: that that's that's a theory that um I guess has some credence, but honestly, unless you know they're microbial or something like that, I mean you know they they kind of looked at this in the original Star Trek series where you know it's believed that everything in the world or everything in the universe is carbon based. Correct. Mm -hmm. We're built with carbon. You know, the ground is carbon. Everything's got carbon in it. That's the basis of, of everything. But who's to say that there isn't a, a a silicone based life form out there, or there isn't a, uh, you know, something, something else out there. And now we would not be compatible with them in, in the way of, you know, uh, uh making babies i guess because it wouldn't work but that doesn't mean i don't i don't think that means that we couldn't communicate with them we would just have to learn how to communicate with them and they would have to learn how to communicate with us that's that's my thought on that
3: Lou. you know and i would agree with that to a point i mean as as brilliant as we think we are in everything else i mean there's no possible way that we can know every way of communicating that's out here i mean yeah we have from the beginning of time We've got, you know, bang of sticks, bang of drums, you know, vocal sounds, so on and so forth. I mean, let's put it this way. We can't even understand what a monkey or a dog is trying to say. How are we going to learn, know what an extraterrestrial might possibly be saying? So, I mean, unless, unless it was like a thought-based, I mean, if there was some way that it could turn into be like a, uh, a medical or a medical, I mean, a mental or a psychic, something to the point where there would be a communication that way. I think that would probably be a lot more feasible than an actual verbal communication.
1: Well, one of the things that Carl Sagan was mentioning, or one of the points he was trying to make, is that it really comes down to how fast or slow we process information. Now, to draw on role-playing games, uh, either of you guys ever read any of the Dragonlance books? Are you familiar with the Dragonlance campaign setting?
2: I'm I'm not other than there's a lot of dragons in it.
1: Okay. <laughs> Lou,
3: I know of them and and I know what the logo looks like, so probably not.
1: Okay, cuz one of the races in this world is the Tinker Gnomes. And when the knights, I think it was the Knights of Salamnia, were the first group to make contact with them, um they thought at first that they were speaking an entirely different language. But then it, they found out it's just that the gnomes talked a lot faster than humans, so they were speaking the same language, but it's just that the gnomes—I uh, don't know if it's—they dress as that's just how fast they process the information. They were talking really fast like this, and that's why they, they thought there was—you know—they were talking really fast like that, which is why they thought they were speaking a different language. And but, they
3: thought that we were all slow and stupid. Yeah,
1: well, a, a movie that actually—well, uh, kind of a way to illustrate this because it's always possible that another species out there might process information at a much slower rate than humans do. Have either of you ever seen the movie Zootopia?
2: Mm, The cartoon, right?
1: It's a cartoon movie, yes.
2: Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. It's on my list of things to watch.
1: It's actually... Oh, go ahead. I just said Ditto. It's on my list. It's actually a pretty funny movie, and I think it's still on Netflix. But there's a scene where... Well, the main story revolves around a rabbit who's a police officer, and she's trying to solve uh, some missing person cases or missing animals. But she goes into the Department of Motor Vehicles, and I think it was a kind of a little clever jab at the DMV where all of the clerks working there were sloths. And so, of course, they were moving (laughs) because, yes, anyone who's ever visited the the DMV, yeah, you found that funny. (laughs) Um,
2: I I don't find that too funny because I got to go renew my license in about a month.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, you got that time coming up, don't you? I do. Yep. But they had the sloths. Not only did they move really slow, but they talked really slow. Like one of them's like, hi, how?
2: Can
1: I help you? But let's say that you know there is a species, a, a species out there that processes information at a much slower rate, like that. Where I mean, let's say a, a simple phrase like "Good morning, how are you." You know, that only takes a second or two to say, for us to say that and for you to process it. But what if there's another species that it takes, let's say, three minutes for them to, you know, comprehend and process that message? That's going to be another communication barrier, obviously.
2: So they're going to speak in Entish.
3: Yes, pretty much. Oh, yes, from Lord of the
1: Rings. (laughs)
3: I was just thinking of uh, the guy from, uh, if you, if either one of you have seen UHF. Yes. Uh, the dude who was like the shop teacher who was just like,
1: not at all. Yes. Yes. By, by Emo Phillips. Or, yes, yes, exactly. Yes, Emo Phillips. Um, but yeah, I, I remember that scene with the Ents where they were like, the Ents were meeting for like, what is it, like hours? And then it goes, right. he goes up to the Hobbits. We have reached a conclusion. You are not orcs. Yep. So we've talked about several reasons as to why we may not have had contact with aliens yet. But let's say somewhere down the line, we do make contact with aliens. And we are able to communicate, well, find a way eventually to communicate with each other. What do you think that would mean for the human race, First, scientifically, socially, and finally, religiously. So let's start with scientifically. What would the discovery of intelligent life mean for humanity in terms of science?
3: Um, you know, honestly, to be, well, we're going to be pessimistic again. Unless they're willing to really share anything with us, not a damn thing. Just the fact that it's possible. Okay. Uh
2: I I gotta kinda agree with Lou there. If they don't share it with us, it, it's not gonna help us at all. But if they do, I mean, mind blowing. I mean, you can't even you can't even really think about how it's going to impact us scientifically because we have no idea what's out there. I mean, it could be huge, otherwise, you know, but they could show up here in steam powered spaceships. That left, you know, six million years ago from the neighboring star. We don't know.
3: You know, and what would actually be kind of comical, though, is if they showed up and they, like, tried to share their technology and it was, like, so backwards that we're just like, yeah, we did that, like, 500 years
1: ago. You know, that reminds me, um, did you ever watch The Simpsons with their Treehouse of Horror?
2: Which Uh, one? Yeah, there's there's been a lot of them, but I've I've seen a couple of them.
1: Did you ever see the one where they were taken aboard the, the alien spacecraft? Nope. And, well, the aliens were giving the Simpsons a tour around the spaceship. And, cause, and you, you reminded me of this when you said that. Um, they show them, and here is a machine we created that simulates the game that you call table tennis. And basically they show them a Pong game. <laughs> and it's like, you know, of course, Homer and Marge are like, oh, we played that in high school. And the aliens are like... Anyone here who's a member of a species that has mastered interstellar travel, please raise your tentacle.
2: Nice.
1: But yeah, that would be kind of funny if we did eventually encounter Intelligent Life. And it's like, it turns out they're, you know, they're still using, like, cassette tapes. And, you know, their video games are the equivalent of, like, an Atari 2600. That would
2: be something. I I guarantee you that.
3: The fact that they decide they somehow came to us with that technology. But then here's the problem is they may just show us, for lack of a better way, we put it, the crap, but keep the good stuff unless we really get on their good side. It's like, you know what? Unless we trust you, you're going to get, like, the bottom shelf. But you know what? If we like you, you're going to get this top shelf stuff. Like, we're not going to give you the lightsabers and ray guns until we know that you're not going to kill us with them.
1: Or, you know, maybe the reason that alien species in uh, The Simpsons – you know, their their video game technology was only reached level of Pong, maybe because they actually were investing more time in developing practical science instead of video game technology.
3: Or maybe that's all they could play with tentacles.
1: Yep, that, okay, that's true. <laughs> so what about socially? I mean, I think scientifically there would be a great sense of curiosity. Obviously, we'd want to know how they managed to do it. And I think, of course, this plays into the social aspect. I think there would be a bit of concern because, okay, if they manage to develop this technology that allows them to travel from, you know, one star system to another, what is their military capacity like? Are they going to come in peace or are they just going to come here to obliterate us? So from a social aspect, let's start with you, Chad what do you think extraterrestrial contact would mean for humanity as a culture or a society?
2: Well, honestly, I think if aliens come and they come in peace, now this is, this is really the important part of what I'm going to say is they come in peace. I think um, society is going to fall apart and then rebuild itself as a single society. I don't think it will stay the way we I don't think, um, uh, you know, countries will not mean as much. I, I think once we realize that we are a single race, the, the human race versus whatever else is out there, I think the way we look at culture and society is going to change.
1: OK, Lou.
3: You know, I think I'd actually have to agree with that. Um, It's it's going to be some uprising. It's going to be a lot to take in because um, As we've mentioned before, you know, people as a whole are going to be suspicious until it is crystal clear that there is no threat. But then again, there's always going to be the pockets of the, you know, the mountain men who are just like, nope, I'm preparing for the worst with the aliens, you know, and but once the if for whatever reason, somehow, and this is a huge somehow, because it, in society, this has never, ever happened, where everybody can be at peace and accepting I mean, it would just... I mean, I think everything would flourish just, like, amazingly.
1: Okay. Yeah, and, I mean, I do have to agree. I think that would certainly cause that uh, widespread panic, but you know, if the aliens did manage to say, hey, we're not here to hurt you, yeah, then eventually that period of anarchy and chaos or confusion and fear would eventually give way to something better. But, now the final thing is this is something that I think people don't always necessarily think about. What about from a religious aspect? What do you think contact with extraterrestrials would mean to the world religions? And I guess we have to kind of speak in general because there are, of course there's tons of different religions out there. Um so what would what do you think religiously? How would that affect the human religious experience to know that there is intelligent life out there.
3: Well, I think the first thing that would happen would be every Scientologist on the face of the earth would be like, ha, I frickin' told you so. <laughs> and then we'd apologize for Battlefield Earth. <laughs> um but with religious itself, I mean it, that's going to be a crapshoot. It really is, because I mean there's certain religions that could maybe modify their thinking to accept it but there's going to be some very hardcore religions that are just like nope this is how it is this is how it's always going to be i i don't think whereas people can become peaceful as a group i don't think religions are going to become peaceful as a group i really don't okay chad um i
2: you know it is it, it's, it's kind of funny because uh just recently i was reading an article that came out of the vatican and um Someone said, you know, they were talking to one of the the leading theologists and they said, well, you know, what if the um, what if the world, you know, does find aliens? What if what if all of a sudden these aliens are there? And as far as the Catholic Church is, is <laughs> um, you know, as far as the Catholic Church is concerned, they're like, we will welcome them into the flock. We will then send out people to convert you know because in the bible it says that you know god said to to uh spread his word to all the all the worlds or something to that effect i may be quoting it slightly wrong but so they're like so then it's just our job to go out there and show them the the the, the correct path so i think for a lot of the main religions i don't think it's going to do a whole lot um the um the alien cults that are out there they're Like you said, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, we told you, bitches. <laughs> Who's um, laughing now? Right. And I think there's going to be some religions that will just fall apart. You know, they're, for whatever reason, they're not based on anything um, strong enough that, you know, the encountering of a different life form is going to destroy it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when you mentioned the Vatican, this was oh, – I think this was back in college so this was like in the 90s for me but I do remember reading um an article where there was a catholic priest that where they they were discussing extraterrestrial life and mm-hmm. cuz now in, in catholic doctrine there's the concept of you know original sin and this one priest was saying that he didn't think that the the concept of original sin would apply to creatures outside of the earth because you know, um, he so he would say that we shouldn't treat them as necessarily being innately sinful. Now, I don't know, Chad. Does the Catholic Church still necessarily think that people, by their very nature, are innately sinful? Or
2: oh, yes, absolutely. Original sin still a big thing. Yeah, yeah, we
1: we still subscribe to that. And the <laughs> the one uh, priest that they were talking with, he actually said that if he did meet an alien he would not try to convert him. Now, if his attitude was that, now if the alien wanted to be converted, he would certainly you know work towards that, but he wouldn't try to force the conversion. And I mean, I honestly think, and having a degree in religious studies, this is something that does fascinate me, is I think it would be a very eye-opening experience to really learn about alien cultures and what their beliefs are because I mean, we look at the various heroic myths and legends, and some of the religious themes that we see on our own planet. How we have all these different cultures, but yet some of them still do share similar, you know, religious or spiritual or mythological motifs. Well, so, right. You can
2: look at. Sorry, Al. Uh, step on your toes here, but you can look at the the flood. Um, oh, yeah. The the myth of the flood, it's not just with Catholics. It's with a bunch of different religions talk about the, you know, the, the flood that flooded the earth.
1: Yeah, and, so, and you're right about that. I mean, there's, they are, uh, you know, the Bible is not the only instance where there's a story about a flood. And uh, we can find evidence of earlier flood myths in the uh, various Sumerian and Babylonian texts. But Mm -hmm. that's a good point, I mean, and and that's what I mean. It would be intriguing to think, okay, this, let's say for the sake of argument that there is intelligent life on a planet that is surrounding Alpha Centauri, which, as far as I know, there's no evidence that there's any planets there, but hypothetically speaking, it would be fascinating Mm -hmm. to think, okay, do they have a flood myth in their uh, religious traditions, or What about their, you know, how did they view the creation of the world? And I've talked about this on an earlier episode, but, you know, some of the, there's four main creation motifs that we see in human uh, religious creation stories. You know, there's the creation of nothing or from nothing. There's uh, the hatching of the universe from, you know, a primeval, primeval egg, dismemberment of the primordial giant. And then the other one is, you know, usually has to involve, um, oh boy, I forgot what the other one was, but you get the picture.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So, like I said, do these other alien civilizations, do they share these same motifs that we do? Well, let's end this with a gaming question. What are some ways we can work some of the things we talked about today into a role-playing game campaign?
2: Ooh, this could be fun. Now, I can, I can go in a cheap and cheesy way and say, well, yeah, just play Call of Cthulhu. Because <laughs> the entire, the entirety of the mythos is, is predicated on the fact that all the ancient ones, all the, the evil gods are aliens. Um, of course, then, you know, I can say, well, You'd never actually use those in a campaign because if you if you run into Cthulhu or you run into Dagon or you run into any of these guys, you're dead. There There's not, you know, there's not interacting with this alien. He's just going to take your sanity and then eat your brain. It's just, you know, Um but I, I don't know. I've used and I don't know if it's so much straight up aliens, but I have used like the idea of people from different planes. Uh, based in a game where, like a New World, New uh, World of Darkness campaign, where you're actually playing humans and you're actually playing, you know, earthbound creatures, and people are showing up from different, um, different realities. So, I mean, there's an argument there that uh, we could call those alien creatures. Um, but I've never actually used just straight up aliens in a campaign because I find it very hard to try to. Um, you you almost have to build an entire race and their history and their background and their culture and all this stuff because any of these things could come up and that's not something you just want to wing off your hip, you know what I'm saying? At least that's that, that's my theory.
1: And uh, what about you, Lou? Well, you
3: know, in the thing, most of the games that I've really been a part of have all been more of like the sword and sorcery type, D&D type, um, where if you wanted to have some kind of alien to it, I think it would turn into be more of a cult, you know, like, you know, kind of like the cult of the great one or something to that effect, um, where they can go ahead and they would never actually show up, but then like instances of this kind of thing happening. Um, if it were a more modern game, more of like a, uh, I don't know, I guess, well, let's say shadow run, just pulling one out of the air. You know, if you run a shadow run where you've got more of like the steampunk or things that are a little bit more modern, yeah, you could throw some alien technology in there and maybe have, you know, have a little bit more of a conspiracy to it. Um, but I think adding one to like an older style, again, like the sword and sorcery type games, I think a cult would probably work out the best.
1: Yeah, and, and I agree. If you are doing like a and d setting, um, this idea of, you know, alien cults or that, you know, maybe coming in contact with the ruins that, of their civilization that they left behind. Um, I mean, I think what would be kind of fun is if you do, did a campaign where it takes place after humanity has mastered interstellar travel. And the player characters in this case could all be um, explorers that, you know, it's their duty to act as these envoys to these other civilizations. And, you know, you could do some fun role-playing with that, I think.
2: Yeah, I
3: think I would agree with that. No, well, I think it'd be Yeah,
1: okay, And I think we've gone on quite a bit here so I think it's time to call this episode to a close so with that said I'd um, like to thank you all for listening and have a good evening or morning or afternoon whatever it is wherever we are, you are and happy games